0: continue our series in Exodus. We go through a series so that we might get a better understanding of God's Word as a whole, as a unit, and not just pick a verse here or pick a verse there, but understand his communication, his message to us. The first part of chapter 15 we looked at last week and we saw the Song of Moses the song was to reflect and commemorate the wondrous work of God that he had done in redeeming his people out of slavery and bringing them into uh, his, the land that he had promised for them. And so we had, they, Israel had seen the mighty plagues that God had placed on Egypt. He had, they had seen how God had brought them uh, the brink of the sea and they thought they were, were hedged in and they thought they'd be destroyed and God with his mighty hand delivered them. He separated them from Israel he opened up the sea, spread it out, dried out the land, the ground of the sea and had them pass through. Not only did they pass through but Israel pursued after them and God released the wall of water and it enclosed on Egypt, I should say, Egypt's army. Um, Pharaoh and his army then was drowned in that sea. And so they sang a song. You can imagine how they felt and how, what a glorious praise time that must have been. To worship and to praise God and to reflect on his mighty works. We're going to have a sing-spiration in a couple of weeks. And we encourage you, well, don't just wait for the inspiration, but sing regularly of God's praises. Singing is a wonderful way to worship God. It reminds us of the truths of God so that we will reflect on that. And then the purpose of singing, though, is not just to sound good or even to say the words exactly. The purpose of singing is to rehearse that so that we would live. In that truth. So what happens after they get finished singing? Look at the rest of chapter 15. You see, our worship reflects God's work. Our life needs to reflect our worship. In other words, we should live in light of what is true and what was sung when we sang and when we worshiped. We shouldn't just sing it and forget about it. And go back to the same old, same old. We should live in light of that truth of God's glorious power being effective in our lives. We should go out and live like that. So here we go. In verse 22, it tells us three days into their journey, three days now, into this journey, they just crossed the Red Sea, and three days later, they run into a little trouble. Well, it's not really a little trouble. It's a lot of trouble. They run into trouble. They have nothing to drink. Now, we often think, you know, I'm thirsty. Well, what I do, i go look for a bottle of water and get something to drink. Because we often take for granted one of the basic necessities of life, water. But when you are 1,500,000 people approximately coming out of Egypt as a large group, Coming through the wilderness where there is no water, now you got a problem. You got a problem. They had no water. That was the first problem. As they began to search, they found some water, but they couldn't drink it. How discouraging is that? To get up to a place where there's a bunch of water, but you realize, Ugh, we can't drink that. we die if we drink that. They said that the water was bitter. In other words, it was, it was something that humans could not consume and live. So they're in trouble. And so they begin to complain. One of the key words in the end of this chapter and all of next chapter, chapter 16, is to Grumble. Grumble grumble. Do I have to even explain what grumbling is? We we know exactly what it is. We hear it all the time. Unfortunately, sometimes we do it. We complain about our situation. I hate the fall, the autumn time, because the summer is over, because I got all these leaves to rake. Because the winter finna come. The nights are shorter. Or the nights are longer, the days are shorter. You know, we can complain about any and everything. It's not really the circumstances here, it's our attitude towards the circumstances. And what should Israel's attitude be toward the circumstances? Think about it. They just saying about the mighty God who delivered them from their oppressor to the point of separating the sea, something that had never been done before. And they walked across. And it's not like something happened that they weren't aware of. They could see. Can you imagine walking across and seeing and hearing this water that has now become a wall? And you're just walking across it. They knew the mighty hand of God. But when they got three days later, just three days, (laughs) you see, Sunday passed, it ain't even Wednesday yet, (laughs) and they complaining. What are they complaining about? Well, it really doesn't matter what it is, because whatever it is, could it be greater than what they just encountered that God delivered them from? In other words, God has shown himself to be strong in their life. Here's what they say The people grumbled, it says in verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? What shall we drink? we got nothing to drink. In other words, this God who delivered us has left us to die of thirst. We've got nothing to drink. Now, it tells us later on in the next chapter that when we grumble against our leaders, it's not just against our leaders that we're grumbling against. We're actually grumbling against God. We're actually grumbling against God. So this reflects a wrong attitude towards God. It reflects a wrong attitude about God's direction. God, you brought us here. About God's past work, doubting or not realizing that what he has done, he is able to do. About God's faithfulness that he's carried us all this way. Will he not faithfully carry out what he's promised to do? About God's goodness. That he doesn't want what's good for me, he wants me to suffer, to die. It reflects our wrong attitude towards, the, towards life itself, towards the challenges and difficulties. We often think, or we too often think, that we shouldn't have any challenges in life. That God is not being God because we have trouble. And in fact, the exact opposite is true. In our trouble, we should be able, we are able to see God work. He is making himself known. So it reflects a bad attitude. If you turn with me to James, the New Testament, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I think you'll see there this attitude that grumbling reflects in our hearts. So put a bookmarker in Exodus 15 and turn to James chapter 4, right after Hebrews. It's the book of James, chapter 4. And it says this: What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Let me paraphrase. What caused you to grumble and complain? You complain because you're in a situation, and yet you do not trust God, so you begin to grumble. You don't turn to God and ask for his deliverance, and that's why you don't have it, because you don't ask for it. And when you do ask for something, it says you ask with the wrong motive. For your own desires instead of for for God to do what God does and for God to be glorified in what he does. So James helps us understand where this grumbling attitude comes from. Because often, you know, if we're honest, we say, I I grumble because I'm in a bad situation. No, 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 no. You grumble because you have a poor attitude about the God that you serve in your situation. So grumbling reveals the, the poor attitude and poor spirit that we have. Back to our text, I want to look at Moses' response in verse 25. And he cried to the Lord. That's his response. James says, you have not because you ask not. Moses went to God. I like his response. It shows us. Um, the right response in a host of responses that leaders can make. I see two options that leaders often take in their response. One is what I call fake it till you make it. Leader acts like he's in charge, like he knows what to do. Has the attitude, I'm the captain of the ship. I know where we're going and I know how to get us there. In other words, even though he doesn't know, he just thinks that he just project a positive attitude, uh, faking it until it comes through. I think the right attitude to have or the right response to have is to simply rely on God, confidently rely on God. In other words, you are saying, I don't know how to get us out of this situation, but God knows and I trust him. I think that's what Moses does. He cries to the Lord. He doesn't spend a, a overnight. You know, what we do is we, we tie our, 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 our brain in knots trying to figure out our solution all overnight. And then we're totally exhausted from that. Then we cry out to God. What Moses did is a smart thing is he simply went right to the Lord. Well, I, I ain't even going to try to figure out how I can get people to drink water every day. But you got to figure it out. I'm going to ask you what you want to do. And that's what he did. In other words, he brought his situation to God, trusting that God would step in. Now, what reason does it, you know, sometimes we think about faith as just being blind faith. Just like, just be stupid and trust God. But that's not what faith is. Faith is based on reason and the reality. What is the reason and reality? Reality here is God has shown himself to be strong. God has shown himself to be in support of his people. It's God who told Moses, go get my people out of Egypt and bring them out. And I will show you and I will lead you. But he didn't leave it there. He says, I'm going to take you to the land that I promised to your fathers. Remember when they walked out of Egypt, Moses made sure to go back and get the bones of Joseph. Joseph was one of the forefathers who had come down to Egypt as a slave, sold by his own brothers. But God caused that situation to be a blessing to his own people and raised up Joseph to be the leader right along with the Pharaoh himself to deliver Egypt and Israel when the, when the uh, uh, famine came on. And this is what Joseph said to his brothers and his descendants. He says, yes, we're down here in Egypt now. God has delivered us, but we're going to be living in Egypt for a while. But God has promised me, and he's promised us, That one day he's going to deliver us from here and take us to that land that he had promised. He backed all the way back to Abraham that God had promised that he was going to bring his people to the land. So Moses was simply believing God's promise. That's what faith is. Romans 421 would tell you that that's what faith is. It's simply believing what God has promised he is able and willing to perform. So it's not stupid or blind faith. Like, I don't see no other way, but I'm just going to trust that God going to do. No, look, I'm trusting that God's going to do what he said he's going to do, what he has promised that he will do. And that's what Moses did. And he led on that basis. So when he cries out to God, he's crying out on that basis. God, you, I need you. And I know you will fulfill your promise. How are you going to do it this time? Look at God's response. Verse 25, the same verse, the Lord showed him a log. Did you ever think the solution to feeding over a million people or giving them water to drink, when you come to I don't know what kind of waters they were. It says they were bitter, but I mean, I can imagine it. It could have been something foul in the water. Uh, It it could have been polluted with all kinds of stuff. I don't know what it was. But would you ever think the solution was, hey, take that log over there and throw it in the water? (laughs) That's what God tells Moses to do. Take this log and throw it in the water. And he, he threw it in the water, and the water became pure. He said the water became sweet. This is a simple illustration of Israel's walk with God for these 40 years that he was going to have them go through the wilderness. I'm told that this journey through the wilderness that they had taken should have taken that many people, that group, about 11 days to get through. We know it didn't take 11 days. It took 40 years. And again, it's because God is teaching them something about him and something about themselves. So God remedies this situation and he says, I did this to teach you or to test you. It says there, the middle of verse 25, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them. He tested them. He says, "If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep His statutes, all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God." So, three days into the wilderness, no water. Find a little water, but they can't drink it. They complain. Moses cries out to God, God makes a way. Look at verse 27. It's it's kind of the verse where we would like to live. It says, um, then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. First they came, no no water to drink. They the uh, uh they, they complain. God blesses the bit of water that they have, gives them enough, and then takes them to this oasis in the middle of a desert. Twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. It looks like some 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 some, some island of paradise that they're there, they're there, and it's a beautiful place. To be, But before we spend a lot of time there, let me just share a few things with you. Give yourself this self-assessment. How do you respond to trouble? What does it tell you about your state, uh, the state of your faith? Do you blame God? Do you grumble to God? Now, you might say, I don't blame God. I don't grumble to God. I blame my parents. I blame my wife. I blame my husband. I blame the government. I blame the job. I blame those people where I can't get a job. I blame, you know, we, we can blame. You never run out of people to blame. But who do you run to? Who do you turn to? Ask yourself that. Here's what I'd like you to ask, though. Self-assessment. Am I in trouble because I've strayed off of God's path? And if that's the case, the remedy is simply confess, repent, and turn back to God. If I'm facing this trouble that I'm facing because somehow I've strayed off this path, God, forgive me. For I did not follow you, and now I will, I will turn away from wrong, and I will turn to you. But there's another situation that might be appropriate or, or that might be your case. Am I facing difficulty along God's path? In other words, make assessment. Am I where I am in trouble now because I've strayed from God's path? <clears throat> or maybe am I in trouble because I've gone along God's path? That certainly can happen. And if that's the case, admit it, God. I've done everything I could to follow you. But I'm in trouble. And I need your help. Ask God for strength and wisdom. Part of our spiritual problem is that we tend to think that things should always go well. And when I'm on God's path, I won't face any challenges or difficulties. That's not true. Ask the question, how did Israel get to the waters of Marah? I'll tell you how they got there. They were led by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire right up to Marah. Just like they were led right up to the edge of the Red Sea and thought they were hemmed in. God led them to the next challenge, right up to Mara, and they had no water, or water that they had they couldn't drink. Ask yourself how did I get here? Was it my own wrongdoing, or was it God's path? And realize sometimes it can be God's path. Yes, you don't like being without a job. Yes, you don't like not having a home or, or whatever that situation is that is lack in your life. It's uncomfortable for you. But sometimes that is the path that God has brought you along. You have trouble thinking of God who brings his people to rough times. That's the reality of what God does. He does that. In this case, he said to test them. Why? That they might see his goodness, his faithfulness, his power to move and act on their behalf. I don't expect, I'm going to get to this point now. Here they are in the land of Elam, 12 springs, 70 palm trees, would you ever want to leave? Well, look at verse six, chapter 16, verse 1. So they set out from Elam. I don't know about you. <laughs> I got a problem with that. Like, Lord, how come we couldn't just stay in Elam for a long, long time? They went in Elam about a month and a half. Significant amount of time, but not forever. God says, it's time to get out. I got something for you to do. I got a place for you to be. You're not always going to be staying in the oasis. The prosperity gospel has ruined a lot of our thinking in terms of God's purpose and God's will for us. God said Elam is not the place, the permanent place for you. Sometimes you're passing by and you might want to stay there, but God says, no, move on. Why did they leave Elam? Same reason. The pillar of the cloud and pillar of fire, God says, it's time to move on. You see, you and I want to make our own choices and our own decisions, but trusting God means I submit myself to his plan, his purpose, his timing, his will, whatever it is. So God says, it's time to leave Elam. You just need to ask, Lord, is that your voice? Is that your direction? He says it's time to lead. Just like God says we're headed towards tomorrow. He doesn't say it that way. He just shows you, points you along the way. He don't ask you, you want to go tomorrow or not? He don't ask you that. He just leads you there. He also doesn't ask you, do you ready to leave Elam? He doesn't ask you that. He just leads you according to his purpose and his will. The question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him? And when he says it's okay to leave Elam, then it's okay to leave Elam. Do I got somebody putting stuff in the back of me there? All right. Let's look at at this chapter 16 now. So they set out from Elam. They had stayed there about a month and a half, and yet it is God's direction for them to leave. And now they are following God's direction again. It says in verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Isn't it something how... uh, we look back at things and, and we kind of have a, a twisted memory of how great it was. They act like they had, you know, steak and barbecue dinners every day. Pharaoh was beating them as slaves. was no fun. But they, in their faithlessness would rather have that than to walk daily under God's direction. Realize, would you said in your mind, realize God's direction is not always the easiest and not always the most pleasant, but I can trust him in it. He will walk with me. He will help me face every challenge that I have. It's not going to always be easy. But he's promised that. So they complain again. The end of verse 3 For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they complained about not having water. What did God do? He brought them water. How gracious God is. They complained about not having food. There's two elements to the food. One was the bread and one was the meat. They complained about not having that. And let's see what God does. God says to to Moses in verse four, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven. And he gives them direction on how they were to gather this. He says, I'm going to pour down from heaven bread, and I'm going to give enough for every family. I want each morning, I want each family to go out and take provisions based on their household. So if you've got 12 in your household, you take 12 provisions. Uh, 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 Omer, that was just a measurement, a uh, 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 means of measurement, one for each uh, uh, family member that you have. If you have six, then you take half that. One for each family member that you have. Take enough for one day and bring it back and prepare it and eat it. So he, he, he was giving them provision or he's giving them direction for the provision that he was going to bring to them. They were to go out each day except on the seventh day, which was the Sabbath. It says, on the sixth day, go out and get a double portion. Get enough for that day and the next. He's warned them, if you if you know, any day you bring more than what you can eat, whatever you lay up and don't eat is going to waste away. It's going to stink, it's going to decay, and you're going to see worms in it. But on the seventh day, since you won't be able to go out, I want you to take double portion on the sixth day. And when you lay that aside to eat it the next day, it won't decay. It won't stink. It won't have worms and bugs in it. It'll be edible and good enough to eat. So God gave them these rules. You know, in Jesus' prayer, he taught us, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God wants us to live by faith, daily by faith. That God, we don't have because we don't ask. And when, we, when God gives, he gives us the portion that we need for now so that we might trust and depend on him. You know, the biggest picture of sin in the Bible is the, is the sin of independence from God. We seek to live in such a way that we don't have to trust God. If you're not careful, we, we do that. We, we store up for ourselves so that, hey, God, I'm thinking about that when the rainy day comes. But what, what, what we, if we're not careful, what we're actually saying is, God, I want to be, you know, you know the term financially independent. Yeah, we, we want to be spiritually or financially independent from God. I don't want to have to trust in you, God. Be careful about that sin. God has has ordered our life so that we would trust him regularly. So we would trust him daily. And he wants us by faith to realize that we can trust him regularly. That he never never lets us down. So he's commanded them to do this. The other thing they complain about is not having meat. And God was going to bring these birds into their territory or quail, and they were going to be uh, uh, just flying low enough for them to catch them and have plenty for them to eat, and that's what he does. So he gives them meat to eat. He gives them bread to eat. God is gracious in his supply, even to his complaining people who have a wrong attitude about him. Even to the people he's already proved himself. You see, God has done enough for them to, 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 to know that he's going to trust them. And, and yet, he's the God that supplies daily, each day, even to a complaining people. It's like a parent. You don't punish your children by not feeding them or giving them the necessary things that they need for life. Even when they have a wrong or poor attitude, you see to it that they can eat. You find a way to discipline them in other ways rather than in life-threatening ways. God is gracious to us. He was gracious to his people, Israel. And he ministered to their needs regularly. Even when they were unfaithful and unbelieving in their hearts towards him. So we see this thing, we call it manna. By the word the word, by the way, the word manna means what is it? Because when they saw this provision that God had made, they, they, they were like, What is that? What is it? And they adopted that name for manna. Manna means what is it? God is showing himself the one who provides for our lives. He provides for us physically for our life, and he certainly provides for us spiritually for our life. He wants us to walk in dependence on him, trusting in him day to day to know how good a God he is and to live it. In other words, it simplifies to this. In chapter 15, sing about God. At the end of chapter 15 and 16, live like you believe what you're saying sing about the greatness and the goodness of God and know it to be real, but it's not just something you sing. It ought to be something that you live out. So our whole demeanor, our whole attitude should be different when we come to challenges and problems in our life. It's now, Lord, here I am, your servant, walking in your path, and now I face this. What what would you have me to do, Lord? What are you going to do in this situation? He's testing Israel. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Test him, in essence. I say that test, I mean, is try him. Believe on him because he has shown himself believable. Trust in him because he's shown himself trustworthy. Rely on him because he has shown himself faithful. He's done that for the people of Israel. And he requires that they do that as they walk with him. Now you notice in his instructions that he gave, now Israel goes out. And some of them, instead of getting a day's worth, it's like free food. Free food. Man, you better get get a whole bunch of that. And they come and they grab more than they need. And they get it back to the the house. Yeah, man, we got some good stuff here. I'm going to eat this up. And then this afternoon, the next day, the next day, we're going to have more. And all of it grows stale. All of it decays. All of it is filled with our, with, with worms. Can I give you uh, um, uh, an ugly picture if you ever seen anything with maggots on it? that That's the picture of it. It's like, look, it's disgusting. You can't eat it now. Why is that? Because they wouldn't trust God. They wanted to... J- James chapter 4 says, you ask because of your own passions, your own evil desires... To have what you have so you don't have to daily trust in God. I can't not say this because it might offend some, but I'm going to say it because it's true. We live in culture and society today that people would rather have the government give them something with no strings attached or so they think Then to come to a place where we would teach them how to trust in God. Oh, you're going to tell me that God stuff, so you ain't going to give me nothing to eat. You just want me to trust in God. I'm going to give you something to eat and show you how to trust in God. And show you how to walk with God and tell you this is the way to live. This is the best way to live. And any other way is not faithful. It's not dependable. Or you might find... That you can live that way, but you're going to come to the end and realize that you're not walking in faith with God. God wants us to walk in dependence on Him. So it came to the seventh day for some, and they did what Moses had, had told them to do. They gathered two days' worth, and they got that back to their home home. And lo and behold, it didn't spoil. It stayed good. And they were able to use it for the next day. I don't know if they were in amazement of that. It's like, hey, God said that would happen. But there are some people who went out on the Sabbath day. On the seventh day, they went out, and it's like, we ain't got nothing. It it, it ain't no what is it laying on the ground no more. God is unfaithful. Where's my provision? No, God is faithful. You just not listen to him. You're not doing what he told you to do. By the way, I like the way that God did this. He could have had manna grow up right on their kitchen table, right? And right into their own cabinets and into their refrigerators. But no, he says, I'm going to put it out here and you got to go and you got to gather it. God requires us to live by faith, and faith means real action. So you leave your house knowing that God's going to do what he's going to do, and then you get out in the field, there it is. It's what God said would be there. It requires me now to go and gather it and bring it back. In other words, do a little work. Amen? Do a little work. God requires you to do something. To show your faith in his provision. They did that. They came back. And they were blessed. On that sixth day. They walked in obedience to God. And they took that double portion. And they did that. And they were blessed. Some on the sixth day. Said hell yeah. You know this is the way God works. We just can gather what we need for today. Tomorrow we go out and get some more. That's not what God said. He said get the double portion this time so you don't have to go out in other words respect my day of rest and use it i would imagine some said well you know i'm gonna get the double portion on the sixth day but on the seventh day i'm gonna get some so i can sell to somebody else i'm gonna run my hustle i'm gonna run my hustle so the ones who didn't have faith to get, something on the, to get the double portion on the sixth day, I got some. Hey, come on over. I'll sell it to you. I wonder if there was some that did that. I can imagine what happened. The worms and the maggots went through their supply as well. I wonder if God is still doing that today. I think in some ways he is. But even in worse ways, his judgment is I'm just going to let you pass till you get to the judgment. I'm going to let you keep thinking that you could run your hustle on me and play your game and do your thing and live your way and you can have it your way. But when you get to heaven, when you come to my throne, you're going to realize this, it's my throne. I rule and I have the same. God is not to be played with. God has set his standard and set his rule. He's made loving and gracious provision for us, but he's given us some guidelines by how we are to live by those provisions. Some can think that they're more gracious and kind than God and they can gather more than they need and try to give it to somebody else. Or some can think that they can somehow play the hustle game or do something else. But God is saying, these are my guidelines. This is my gracious portion for you. Walk in my ways. In John chapter 6, Jesus shows himself to be the bread of life. He says, God gave you bread from heaven, but I am that bread sent down from heaven by which you must live. In other words, he's saying this bread that God gives, he provides, but he provides with his own understanding and stipulation. You don't get to set the rules and the guidelines by that or for that. You accept it. In other words, you accept it under his terms. And under his terms only, I pray that we'll be that people that says, God, whatever your terms are, I submit myself to. I understand your provision is so much a blessing and so needed in my life. I, bow, I submit myself to your standards and your provision. Would you do that today? Would you walk with God in obedience to God, whatever he has to say? Will you stop your complaining and grumbling and turn to God? Would you say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever solution you have for my situation and my problem, I turn to you for and I accept your remedy for it. I, I accept whatever plans and purpose you have in my life. I submit to you. I will obey you. I will walk in obedience to you in your way, in your path. You set the standard. I simply say obey. I simply say yes to what it is that you have said. That's the mindset that God wants from us. He deserves it. He deserves it. He is good. He is gracious. He is loving. He is just. He is mighty, he is holy, he is righteous. He has set that standard. Will you bow down and submit to him? Father, we pray as we see what you have done, what you provide for us, we pray your conviction over us in our hearts we have a tendency to grumble and to complain and Lord we need to realize that we complain to you or before you or against you I pray Lord Lord, that we would repent we turn from that and we turn willingly to be under the provisions that you provide will be willing to do what you say to do. This is how we trust Jesus. This is how we turn to him. This is how we show a love and a willingness for him to be our savior. We pray that you would just speak to the heart today that is willing to give up all independence and trust in you and be dependent fully on you daily to walk with you to trust Christ as their one and only Savior and their full provision help us to live as we sing knowing that you are a mighty God and that we can walk in that light, trusting you, depending on you, submitting ourselves to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.